Hi everyone, uh, this is Meaning What, I'm Matt Wiseman. So, it's been a few weeks, and uh, something's big happens, uh, you might have noticed this. We've been told to shelter in place, we have been dealing with a pandemic, and finally came to the U.S., uh, it was COVID-19, the coronavirus incarnation, is the biggest thing there is. Now, we could talk about that. I could tell you a lot of things. Things sometimes you, you probably already know, some, but maybe you don't. But what I want to discuss is just just get off the night chest that this is how crazy the world has been, but also these things that have been coming up, the news, the election, rape allegations, sexual assault by, against uh, by Joe Biden against one of his staffers. Uh, I think she was even an intern. It's just so bizarre. Life has been so strange. The, the social distancing, and the testing debacle, and the Defense Production Act debacle, and news as we know it just failing. You know, it's really this continuation of what we've been seeing with the election and the primary. It just, you look at these things and you think that they're supposed to act one way and, and they don't. They don't act what you want. They don't do what you want. They're not truthful. They're not honest. They're not transparent. They don't want oversight. They don't want accountability. So there's all of these roadblocks and smoke screens and barriers that are put up to keep people from figuring out what's going on. You know, and news has been really instrumental in the mainstream news and, and you know, I listen to a lot of left media, and the left media, too, has been very instrumental in obscuring certain things. So I think that there's a real need for for discourse, for honesty, um, and not to be bowed down in little corners of academia or linguistics. Not that those things aren't important, but we need to reach people. We need to talk to people. We need to have a connection. I think now that people are self-isolating, this connection is very important. And that's why I do this. Because things that need to be said, truth needs to be spoken. And just dreams need to become goals and goals need to become looked at as possible so that we can get there. 
All right, so let's get into it. Coronavirus, still top of mind, but I just want to focus on that. But let me get some other newsworthy things out of the way. Voting was a couple weeks ago, and you had uh, Arizona, Florida, and Illinois voting. And I, if we cared about people, if we actually took this pandemic seriously and and you listened to the experts, we would have encouraged people to call off voting on that day. Uh, Ohio, I think, was due to vote, and they pushed it back. Um, and even though Tom Perez threatened to sue and threatened to take away delegates, uh, they still pushed it back. Florida and Illinois and Arizona went ahead, and they all went for Joe Biden. Uh, to my disappointment, but I'm not really surprised. The, the campaign of Bernie Sanders has had to change, and it, it will change, and it did change then after that election after the debates um, that they had that was all about COVID-19 and Bernie and Biden were up there alone and Biden made it through it. He stood the whole way and didn't bumble, but now he disappeared for six days and Bernie Sanders campaign is essentially morphed into a organizational model and, and a training ground for aid and how to help people locally and throughout the country, uh, as well as talking about plans and actions that progressives within the Democratic Party are taking to deal with within their communities in the House of Congress um, and in the na nation to deal with this, this virus. And yeah, it's always a wish list, but I think stating your intention is a good way to really go after your goals. And so when Bernie Sanders has a plan right away, and yeah, it's modified plan of what he already was going for, but really thinking about older people getting food, thinking about the homelessness issue, thinking about workers. It's just more thoughtful and considerate and targeted than anything else. And when we've seen lack of leadership and lack of response from the federal government and from the, the, the Trump administration, uh, where they have this cult of personality and seems irate and cantankerous, even when talking to reporters, they have legitimate questions. And you see this guy, he's got plans, and he's just not covered by the media. He's just derided by the mainstream media. And 
I feel like they're really doing a tremendous disservice. But like I said, I listen to the left media too, uh, primarily even. And on the left, he is covered more seriously, but he's also kind of dismissed in a way. Um, people are so overwhelmed because the oxygen has been taken out by this pandemic and by all of the faults that have happened and all of the political actions that people have taken. And so he's kind of put out to pasture in a way, and he's not being covered because he is trying to actually help the way that he can. He's trying to lead. And he told a, a CNN reporter to F off because he was trying to do this. He's actually trying to take action. While other people are just kind of like, well, it's bigger than us, or I don't care, all these lobbyists I'm listening to. Like, it just, I don't... I don't understand, because on the Democratic side, if you're a leader, why wouldn't you lead at this point? This is the time we need for a leader. Even Donald Trump, who's this would-be autocrat, this fascist, and and he seems to want these things and get rid of these checks, but so that he could just what? What is his end goal? Stay in power forever? I understand he's benefiting from being in office, but here is his chance to kind of be a, a leader with a lot of unorthodox power at his disposal. And what does he do? Nothing. He does what any kind of corporate Democrat or Republican would do. So he's just failing even by his own standards. And speaking of failing, the DCCC has no, a leadership vacuum. You know, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer did this whole stimulus deal. And let's talk about that. Let's get into it. The stimulus deal was phase one. And they had Mitch McConnell, uh, Chuck Schumer, Nancy Pelosi, and uh, Mnuchin, who is the Treasury Secretary, they all got together and they wrote up this deal with all of these little side deals baked into it, all of this thing. And it was $2.2 trillion is the biggest stimulus package we've ever had. You know, 300, 350 went to small businesses, medium businesses. There was some things. I don't think it's even been published yet. Here it is. It's April 1st and it hasn't been published for the public to see. And it was been passed and signed into law or whatever in like a week ago. So how come we can't see it? Well, I think that a lot of people in Congress, there was cases of COVID-19, people tested positive. You know, Boris Johnson, the prime minister of uh, the UK, is tested positive. So it, these world leaders are, are, are susceptible, highly susceptible, and they are out there and everybody's scared but even our leaders are scared and they're they're failing in their leadership so that's what we've seen just failure all around the stimulus bill is real proof of that failure because what it was supposed to do is help everybody what it was supposed to do is a response to the pandemic 
what it actually did it it gave half a billion dollars to big businesses and and uh giant corporations some of which aren't even u.s corporations like the cruise industry which is ridiculous um but it's not just that it was half a billion dollars it had very little oversight and now they've put a little bit of oversight like tarp from 2008 2009 uh bailouts which is like a i think it was what 100 uh 1.5 trillion dollars when the two bailouts between 2008 and 2009 and now we have a 2.2 trillion dollar bailout but in addition to that there there's this 400 and $50 billion uh, bill out to the big businesses that can be capitalized upon. So they can get 10 times that amount. So that's $4.5 trillion in addition to the uh, $1.7 trillion already in this bill. So you're talking about five, six, $6.2 trillion bill is what we're talking about. And you're giving all of this liquidity, this extra money to big businesses so that, that they could what? Well, they could buy up all the small businesses. Now they're going to be super cheap. And since the government's not really helping them significantly, it just became this whole license to rob America and American local businesses and American neighborhoods using the taxpayers wealth to rob the coffers right you're using the taxpayers wealth and giving it to major corporations and that is the corporate project that is the neoliberal project just to take government make it impotent and take all the money you can so that government becomes irrelevant well that was always a failed project because there there's a monopoly of force at hand um and there's something about sovereignty right so who's gonna guarantee the money if not the government who's gonna do this basic infrastructure deals and not not the government who's going to ensure the health and the well-being of the people if not the government so uh, there is certain functions that the government does regardless of what big business would like to do. Um, they just see themselves in competition with big business. Uh, what, what they don't understand the government actually provides the groundwork for them to operate. And with neoliberalism, they've had uh, enormous liberties and they have risen, risen inequality and wealth inequality to astronomical and unacceptable um, standings right now. But that, hopefully, this pandemic will be a wake-up call and we will have a restructuring. But what I wanted to say is that this, this stimulus has shown that these leaders on both parties are bought and paid for by the corporate interests. Now, the Democrats, sure, they're more socially progressive and they have tech billionaires behind them and they have Hollywood billionaires behind them. But at the end of the day, these corporations, these industry influences are going to 
want to be represented. We've created a system where it's infinite money with Citizens United and um, other provisions where there's infinite money behind politicians. Well, you can't compete with infinite money. You can't turn Bloomberg into a good politician, but you also can't compete with his wealth. And uh, the GOP is the, the traditional industries, um, car manufacturing, defense manufacturers, and uh, oil and gas. And so they have always had this corporate lean. That doesn't mean that there's some politicians that are not populist or concerned with what the people want or concerned with national interests. There are. And that is a, a, a lean in, in the GOP. That is, a, uh, there's a, a democratic, um, well, pro-democratic and anti-imperialist lean in the, uh, the, the DCCC, but they don't have the power. They're not the ones that were actually pushing the stimulus bill. The stimulus bill got pushed and got through because everybody felt like the American people were held hostage and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez condemned it. And rightfully so. And calling out that this was a hostage negotiation. And what, what did the average American get out of it? Well, we got coronavirus testing and certain treatments are going to be covered. We got... A uh, one-time payment of um, $1,200 per individual and $500 per child. Was it per child or per children? Might be per children. So, you know, for a family with any children and two adults, um, that adds up to $1,800, $1,900, one-time payment. Uh, that's what we got out of the stimulus package. And $4.5 trillion went to big businesses. So big publicly traded businesses, because you got to think it's stocks, right? You know, it, it, it's the GOP and Donald Trump's future is relative to the Dow Jones Industrial Average and the S&P 500, which have been taking baths, you know, seeing stock market crashes. People are, the, the stock market's bleeding a trillion dollars a day. So... Uh, they already had a $1.5 trillion influx anyway. So uh, this is what we've been living with. This is the reality of the, the two corporate parties and how they react to an issue. They give the people at the top more money. They give them all the money. Um, hopefully they're not going to continue doing that. It seems foolish. And we're going to need a, a, a restaurant and a, a bar bailout because the, these businesses, these local businesses cannot exist on the, the uh, international scale. You know, everybody's going to go to the, their local, what, you know, for a restaurant, you're, you're going to go to an international chain. You know, you're going to go to your uh, cheesecake factory or something. Everybody's going to go to Burger King. No, these is, this is when, when things get back to normal, we, we're going to have to have 
some businesses is just not a reality. You know, but this is phase one, so we'll see what they do in phase, you know, three, four, five, whatever. And they're going to have to do it quick because the we can't survive for months on end. And the way that this thing is handling, it doesn't, it's not, the U.S. is going to be totally dependent on the international community or, um, or a delayed reaction. Maybe it starts in November. We actually have a recovery. So on that note, who is the potential front runner? Let's talk about Joe Biden. Boy, let's talk about Joe Boy Biden. So he comes away from this debate. Bernie, you know, he won, but he wasn't making money. He didn't, like, win big in this debate. And, you know, they could debate it into it. And since the mainstream media was going to say Biden won regardless, there was even a, a reporter from MSNBC who was, they're all propaganda, but she said all, all that Biden has to do is stay alive because his bar is so low. He's a terrible candidate. He's just so weak and he's so awful. So after this debate, he gets these three states and, you know, Tom Perez, the hard charge of the DNCCCC, there actually ends up being cases of coronavirus now from two poll workers or three poll workers. He's tested positive. And so not only was Florida should have never been voting, nobody should have been voting during this pandemic. Um, Florida said they had it covered. Illinois said they had it covered. Um, and in Arizona, and, and now we're having poll workers get coronavirus. So I think we're going to see that the, the COVID-19 is going to spread. And part of that was the actual primary elections. So this whole thing is a big mess up. It's a big mistake. Um, but yeah, Biden won Florida. That was expected. But then Illinois had all these problems voting. Surprise, surprise. Um, and they they won. And Biden won. But then Biden disappears. He disappears for like six days. Um, seven days. He's just gone. He tried to do some kind of failed tell a rally and then he just disappeared for a week during this bad crisis and things were escalating very quickly and when he comes back he's doing all the shows and he's doing this uh, he's trying to, to show leadership he's actually reading from notes and he's losing his place and it's just embarrassing and he's having these very awkward interviews where he's telling the interviewer that he, he shouldn't be saying these things about Donald Trump or he's not going to continue talking. And it's just so strange. He's not, he's not all there. And we're going to, he seems lost, you know, senile or 
has dementia or something, but he's definitely not all there. And they're voting for him. People are voting for him. And I don't know if that's because the mainstream media is doing things, I think, you know, greatly because the information, the, the, the reality is that the media that was supposed to be truthful and supposed to tell both sides and supposed to be honest, honest and balanced and fair, they're not, you know, and part of that was perhaps, um, Bernie's opposite, opposite, uh, oppositional footing towards them, towards big business, towards billionaires, which was part of his rhetoric. I get it. It's part of his campaign. Maybe it's necessary. Maybe it's not. But he was branding the campaign as our revolution. And there is greater call for this kind of thing in an organizational way. I just I don't see it coming together which is a big problem. And I think that part of that is the left too. The left has kind of said the same thing. There is still the path for Bernie to go forward. He can still win. Half the states haven't voted. I'm in New York City. New York has not voted. I really hope to God that they go ahead with the debates. They go, you know, there's one more, 12 out of 12 debates. The last one coming up in April. Bernie said he wants to do it. Biden says it's not the time, but of course he was going to say that. The guy is not well. He said he'd only, Biden has even said he'd only do one term and that's it. So, you know, they're thinking that his um, VP is going to be the, the re-election campaign kind of thing. But his VP muscle might take over for him because he's not well. So why are we even electing this guy? And as far as VP picks, he's gone to his Wall Street donors and asked them who they wanted. There's been this list of, of um, Wall Street picks, and it's like Kamala Harris, Stacey Abrams, who's been untested and unknown for a big way. And Kamala Harris is just like the same as him. She actually called him out for the busing situation. Ugh. What a world we live in. And it's, to anybody paying attention, it's atrocious the way that this primary has been handled, the way that the media has woven this narrative that is totally fabricated. And we're told that there are no good options. Even the, the founder of Vox and, and the Daily Kos uh, came out and said, there's no good options. How come there's no leadership on the, the Democratic side? And here's Bernie Sanders, you know, this is on Twitter. And all the Bernie Sanders supporters are like tweeting plans at him and articles of plans and plans and plans from like six different sources where it's like, dude, there's a leader. You just don't want him. And it's obvious that the DCCC would rather have Donald Trump in office for another four years and do all the damage he's doing rather than give the left flank any kind of power, any kind of say in the direction of what the party's going to do. And it's a shame because I do not see the DCCC continuing even if they could by some miracle get 
Joe Biden to live long enough to get into office, to, to be elected president, that it's just so ridiculous. He, even if that could happen, which is colossal, it's massive if that happens. It's just like some kind of miracle. Like, I don't know, Joe Biden saved a puppy and a baby that were falling from a fire or something. Like, it's just ridiculous. But if it happened and karma is that way, um, and he gets into office, they're still going to collapse. Like the DCCC has no answers to these problems. They are not getting up. They're not standing up. They're not saying anything. They are a corporate party. They are pro-war party. They want to continue massive international trade deals. They want to continue um, this intersectional woke language and, you know, wave the flag of feminism, but they don't actually want to give people that are, are, are women, people that are black, people that are brown, people that are um, Native American or Asian or anything, they don't want to give them equal standing. They just want to allow them to have their labels. So it's this new, new political correct language that they're just so all about. Um, and it's just another way that they're using, they're using woke signaling or cultural signaling to garner support from academics and for the professional managerial class to say that they're like to try and placate the masses of people but it's just not going to work especially in the wake of a pandemic there's no future for the DCCC and there's no future for the GOP how they have been at least the GOP has more of a hardcore following and they've had to reposition as um faux populists or you know these 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 populists with a, a nationalistic lean and there has been real politicians true believers that have come in and that are actually offering some interesting plans and they are leading the way uh and they could be the future of the gop now this is all going to happen pretty quickly and so after the 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 pandemic has a solution. We're going to see a whole shift. And, and I don't really even know how to conceive of it. But this is a big, big deal. This is a, a once in a century situation. We, in my lifetime, we've never really seen threats like this. We've only seen endless wars. We haven't seen Vietnam. We haven't seen World War II. We haven't seen these things. I mean, even 9-11, I was in New York at the time. 9-11 shook the nation, but it didn't change anything. It just allowed us to be abused more by the neoliberals. It allowed us to get into these uh, big corporate defense contracting wars, you know, Halliburton and whatnot, um, where they just go into these foreign nations and wage war against terrorism or the threat of terrorism. You know, Iraq didn't really have any of that. We were there. We're still there. And this is the longest conflict we've ever been in. And Afghanistan, um, there wasn't Afghanis who attacked us. It was Saudis. So 
we were never in Saudi Arabia. So that, that whole thing has just been like the government can do whatever it wants and it wages war and we're all going to support it. Uh, Joe Biden was big on selling that and voted for the Iraq war. Bernie Sanders voted against it. That was 9-11 and then you, you had the Occupy Wall Street and the 2008 banking crisis. Like These are the big crises of our lifetime that have really affected the way that we live in the world. The millennials and the Generation X and the Zoomers. It's, and now we're all going to change because of this pandemic. It's going to be the biggest thing that we've ever seen. I don't want to get off track, but I have to mention that the, the terror read came forward. Um, there were Ryan Grimm had an article in the intercept about terror read going to times up, which is an organization that really supported all of this, the, the hashtag me Too women when they were trying to fight powerful men. Um, so it's a, it's like a fundraising organization, a nonprofit that, that gives uh, support and aid for women who have been harassed, sexually harassed, sexually exploited, assaulted, that sort of thing. And so Tara Reid went to them and was re rejected by them. And she was rejected because she had allegations against Joe Biden. Now, she's not the first woman. A lot of people, and it's been shown, like uh, Joe Biden it, it likes to even get behind little girls and hold them at their waist and massage their shoulders and kiss them on the head, smell their head. It, it's inappropriate. He's a powerful man, and it's never been appropriate. These are not women on equal footing. These are not people that are, are also in power, and these are not people that are consenting to this. He's doing this kind of unwelcome touching. All right. Some people can ignore that. I think that you shouldn't and you should say it and you should, you should make it clear and you should try to choose someone else. If you know, this guy is uh, kind of groping, touching women, but we already have one of those in office. So why not? Then it comes out in an interview where Tara Reid comes out with an actual alleged encounter with him in the 90s. And this is a time with uh, Anita Dunn and Clarence Thomas where uh, Joe Biden is actually shaming this woman who's saying that she was abused by Clarence Thomas. In, in his Supreme Court confirmation hearing, and this is this is a time when Bill Clinton is in the office since the whole Monica Lewinsky scandal where she is being publicly shamed. Uh, and really, that is assault. Even if Monica Lewinsky is consensual there, she's an intern and he's the president of the United States of America. That's not equal power footing. That's not someone who can really consent 
This is a subordinate. It's just wrong. So at that time, she delivered a gym bag to him in a hallway and he shoved his tongue down in her mouth and her, his hand down her pants and entered her. So this is the guy. That's the guy that you want to be president. And that's not who he is today, but he hasn't really apologized it or shown any remorse. We are even admitted that it's true. And it's an allegation to be true, to be truthful, but still mainstream media has ignored this. And it came up from Katie Halper, who does the useful idiots podcast for the Rolling Stones, but she has her own podcast. And that's where Tara Reid is actually breaking this news. And then, um, the Hill Rising with Crystal and Sager, she comes on and verifies it on air. And not because there's, it's not a big story. This is a big story and it's very important, but nobody at MSNBC, nobody at CBS, nobody at ABC, nobody at Fox, nobody, nobody in CNN at the mainstream media does not want to hear from her. This is a woman whose life was ruined and her career was ruined because these allegations, because she told the his uh, assistant or the chief of staff all these things because she tried to be honest about this in the 90s. And she never could get another job again because she was just a staffer. I mean, Monica Lewinsky does handbags now. She was an intern in the White House. You know how hard that is a position to get? You know, it's just disgusting that these people's livelihoods, these women, because they meet a powerful man and that man does something to them, they have to lose their careers. They have to have these horrible things happen. And it's not just the consequence of the thing. It's never ending. Like they are disposable. And... Uh, and the last thing that Tara Reid said that he, you know, when he, when she refused him, she tried, he tried to guilt her into it and be like, Oh, I kind of, I thought you liked me. She says allegedly that he, um, he said, you're nothing to me. Who says that? That's, you have to be sick. And, you know, maybe power corrupts people like this. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, In my life, the way I've thought about politicians are they're the slimiest people. They are snakes. They are ambulance-chasing kind of lawyers. They, they, they say anything and do anything and stand for nothing. And, yeah, there's been some exceptions to that. You know, Ralph Nader and um, Bernie Sanders. And there's been a lot of people that have kind of, like, come from the, my interests that, uh, that have been honorable, but, you know, usually having something of value to you makes you not a politician, makes you want to stay away from that field. I hope that changes, but it's been a truth that politicians say anything to get away with anything and they'll do anything that they want because they are beyond the law.
There is no accountability. I, we were just talking about war, right? So what's the accountability for rushing us to war? What's the accountability for um, outsourcing all of our jobs to Mexico or China? Well, what, what is the accountability for increasing the inequality in America? Well, apparently people are going to vote for you anyway. <laughs> the auto industry is going to vote for you, even though, you know, you kind of ruined the whole industry because you bailed them out you gave them some money and now they still have a job. Not as many of them have jobs and you're not as powerful because they broke your unions, but you still have jobs. So thanks. It's just... Joe Biden. So the coronavirus, COVID-19, what the Republicans are, are using the term Chinese virus or the Wuhan virus because they want to make this about something else. They don't want to face facts or, or deal with reality. They want to be xenophobic and they want to create an enemy and they want to continue a trade war and they want to be racist and use hate speech. And it's disgusting. But it's also been useful for them. It was useful for Reagan and it's been part of the repertoire since um, well, Nixon even, like, forget about the, just Reagan, this is earlier, Richard Nixon. There, there is this disgusting side of these things and it's not necessary, but it's, a, it's useful because it works. So that kind of action, just like the sexual abuse, whether it's from GOP or the DCCC or anybody, it's not okay. So the virus is the family is called coronavirus, just like influenza is a family of viruses. And the actual outbreak of it, you know, because MERS and SARS are also coronavirus, um, the, the actual outbreak is called COVID-19. So COVID-19 is the pandemic. It started sometime late December in China and in the Wuhan province. And we knew potentially that it would be a problem here because it was not getting contained and it was growing. And then sometime in January, the president was notified about it and he brushed it off and said, it's not important. Um, we could have taken some actions. We could have been prepared, but that's not how we govern this country. That's not, we don't have forethought. We don't know how to deal with things that might change. And that's harsh for us. That's a harsh reality that we all have to face. So, that's part of the change that's going to come because we can't operate like this. 
essentially um, it spread from China and it went to South Korea and it was in Japan and then it, it made its way to Europe. It made it to the Middle East and then to Europe um, rather quickly. And then finally, um, it came to the U.S. in late February, right? So we had a couple of weeks head start to be able to do something about it. And, you know, and these are simple things, you know, we needed to get personal protective equipment. We needed to get testing equipment up and running. We needed, you know, we needed to get um, ventilators in worst case scenario. If people needed help breathing, we knew we were short on those, right? So those are the, the top three things we needed. Well, we didn't. We didn't get any of them. And, you know, testing was there. Everybody was saying we needed testing, we needed testing. The World Health Organization had a bunch of tests and um, the CDC said we're going to do our own tests, which is fine. The CDC is probably a better organization and more capable, but we are operating in the U.S. system and the U.S. system has not been able to be responsive to the public, uh, especially when you have an increased monopolization of the industries. So if you're having people that aren't having to compete, then they don't have to be innovative and they don't have to actually be responsive to the market or to consumer demands. Well, this is more than a consumer demand. This is a life or death demand from the American populace. This is why the government needs to get involved because the private industry isn't going to do it. If there's no direct model where we can figure out how this makes sense for us, then why will we make that business decision? There is no bottom line. Well, you can't have a profit motive if you actually need the thing. This is why profit motive in the healthcare industry entirely is wrong. There cannot be clear supply and demand um, relationships. There cannot be clear pricing and cost comparison. So there is no clear competition. So there is no uh, incentive for innovation. So that's if you're a pure capitalist, this is not a capitalist market. Just like there is not an incentive for people that don't use the roads to pay for the roads if they can just use them a little bit, right? You know, so truckers will probably have to pay for roads, but other people are also on the roads, right? So there are public goods that the government has to take care of. And healthcare has been chosen as one of these by many, 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 many countries. Same thing like education. You know, what's the point of education if not to have a more educated, more sophisticated populace that believes in facts and decision making based on facts and informed consent and informed decisions and uh, science, reason? And critical thinking uh and so that's the the point of these things but government has to supply them because there's not a profit motive it's not market incentive to do these things and in a pandemic we needed these tests to be up and running so the cdc produced some tests and then they were going to be the only ones the only lab is going to actually be able to process these tests and now the those first tests that were sent out when there was an outbreak in washington state um they were didn't work okay you know we already had a problem there if the cdc was going to be the only ones processing it and the only ones that like were in, in charge of producing it they corrected that but 
three agents to process the test are manufactured in China. So simple reagents that we would need to process any kind of lab situation uh, is impossible to get because they get made in China. And we're at a trade war and they're in, they're in a pandemic too. And it's just one mistake after another mistake compounded because we have this complicated supply chain that just makes no sense, but it saves businesses money and they're so used to doing it by exploiting child labor and slave labor and, and safety cutting measures uh, and hourly rates and all of these such things that global capitalism has ensured we're inefficient and unresponsive and they're actually condemning us to this. So the reality is we're not going to have testing in the U.S. because we don't have a government, a federal government that wants to have testing. So because they don't want to use the Defense Production Act to actually make some of these things here to get businesses up and running to produce ventilators, GM and all this, so it's going to take money and it's going to take time the only way we could do it is if the federal government actually put all its will behind it. And Donald Trump does not want to do that. He doesn't want to do that. He would rather the, uh, the private market do it, but they're not going to do it. And so now he's playing this PR game and he's trying to sell the idea that we don't need the PP. We don't need the, the testing, we don't need the the ventilators. And he's fighting and he's putting all of this on local governments, on governors. And now we're seeing governors, all of this like competition amongst the states of who's the best governor, who's the worst governor, who's got the best politics. And, and in the meantime, people are getting infected and hospitals are going to be overwhelmed and we're all sheltering in place and practicing social distancing and it's just going to get worse. There's nothing containing this thing because we don't know enough about it and we can't identify who has it. So we have to assume the worst that everybody has it and we're going to stay away from them. So people are going to be in their houses. I think it's been about three weeks now. Um, the federal government has said we could expect this to continue for about until the end of April. Uh, there was a whole talk of Easter, but it's actually going to be months. If we can't get the testing under control and we can't find out who has it, it's just an uncertainty. It's an unknown. And there's no way to evaluate risk with an unknown. So you have to assume the maximum amount of risk. That potential for anything happening is fairly high if you do anything to endanger yourself. If, you, if it becomes a known, we can actually know the risk and we can make decisions based on that. You know, Singapore has heat readings if anybody has a fever, but we actually don't know enough about the virus to see if it's contagious before you get a fever or only when you get a fever or after you get a fever. We don't know when you're contagious. 
So we need to know that. That means you got to study it. And there's treatments out there and they're testing for it. Um, there's vaccines and they're trying to test. But it could be, you know, this process is hard and it takes a while and it's, you know, to, to process a vaccine. And so we might have it in a year. We might have it in 18 months. We might have it in two years. So this is the reality. We're looking at what we are living in right now for the past two, three weeks is the reality at least for 18 months. And I definitely don't think the federal government, especially under Trump, has grappled with that reality. You know, the Senate and the House went on vacation after they take, you know, a two, three week vacation to kind of deal with whatever, um, all the stress of having to work for a week under Mitch McConnell or 10 days you know, they they had the, the stimulus bill was back and forth, batted from the House to the Senate for four times, three times. So it's like the fourth go around. And the only way it happened is that they all sat down and they, they you know, the leadership talked about it. You know, some leadership, you know, sold out Americans. And the, the best they could do was a one-time payment as if this is going to go away in a month. It's just so embarrassing. This is a national stage and all of these lobbyists and all of these special interest groups and all these big business, all they can think about is robbing the coffers. All they can think about is stealing from the American taxpayer. All they can think about is getting while they're getting good. And our representatives agreed with them. That's disgusting. So back to the pandemic, we're stuck, we're stuck. And then, you know, Mardi Gras in Louisiana went on and that was a mistake. And now it's going to be a big problem down there. And uh, spring break, all these young kids were going to Florida and the governor of Florida is all about it. And you're going to see a whole bunch of... Uh, people contracting the virus because of that. And then the governor of Texas actually says like, he's a grandfather and he's willing to sacrifice his health so that, and maybe his life. So his kids could have a chance at the kind of American capitalism that we have. It's just so disingenuous because even if he was to die from the coronavirus, it's not like it's going to be a cure. You know, as if this would only affect him or people like him. No, it's it's a pandemic. <laughs> the only thing we could actually do to resolve this is, one, testing and identifying who has it and studying what this disease is so that we can avoid it. And two, the, um, is the vaccine. Vaccinate everybody. It's just... It's a big, fat, life-changing event that we're all living through. And 
the people that we need to lead to step up and be better than they are have proven that they're not going to. That's just gross. So that's where we are. It's not all bad. I mean, we can look at this as a as a, a, a lifting of the veil, lifting of all this delusion. And that could be good. And we can come out of this smarter and more aware and more connected. At least we value each other more. But as far as an election, I mean, it's not really forefront anymore. Bernie Sanders is a leader. He's going to stay a leader. Joe Biden, you know, people are making the weekend at Bernie's parallel. Like Joe Biden is, is being held up. He's like a, not physically or mentally what we need at all. And yet he's the presumptive nominee. Uh, Crystal um, Ball from The Hill Rising actually said this is kind of perfect that Joe Biden is indicative of everything the DCCC is right now. He is their representative. It's all they really want from federal government. That's all they really want. And for me, as a Bernie supporter, I don't disagree. I know she's a Bernie supporter as well. But I also think that it's very, very sad because we have real leadership that can make a real change, but it could affect their bottom line. And the pandemic's going to do that too. So, we need to be good to each other. We need to look out for each other. And we need to take this new reality in and accept it. We can do good, we can be good people, and we can get through this. This is temporary. We just need to help each other. All right. Thank you, everyone. I'll talk to you again soon. Quick correction, um, Anita Hill was the woman that Clarence Thomas uh, allegedly sexually assaulted um, and abused, uh, harassed. And Anita Dunn is the campaign manager for Joe Biden's campaign, who also represents the PR firm Knickerbocker, HR Knickerbocker, or KPA Knickerbocker, I'm not positive, um, who is closely connected to Time's Up. So that just got confused. Anita Dunn is on Biden's side and is probably part of the reason that um, Time's Up refused her claim for Tara Reid. And Anita Hill was the woman. Involved in the Clarence Thomas uh, confirmation hearing that Joe Biden railroaded. All right.
Thank you so much for listening all the way through. You are a champion and I love you. Everybody who appreciates this. Um, it means a lot to me. This is something I'm doing for no money. It takes time, it takes effort, and, and I want to get it out there and I want to get it heard. So if you could share it with one person that you think would appreciate it, I would really appreciate that. Um, if you can't, that's okay too. Just uh, give me a thumbs up. Send me a, uh, any feedback you have. Um, you know, just promote it a little bit so that people can hear it. And uh, I'll keep making them. Uh, I'm trying for every once a week, every Tuesday. So look forward to getting Meaning What weekly. It's in the works. Thank you so much. <laughs>